0: As they say, the freaks come out at night, and for good reason. Criminals love to operate in darkness because it limits the number of eyewitnesses and it helps conceal their actions. So coming up in this episode of Pearl Snap Tactical, Alex and I are going to talk tips and tools to help you operate in low light conditions. It's time to make the bad guys scared of the dark, and we're starting right now. And we are back, still coming to you from an undisclosed location south of the Mason-Dixon line. I'm your host, Mark, and I'm joined today with my co-host, Alex. Alex, you How's mean? it going, folks? And this is Pearl Snap Tactical. All right, uh, we have been kind of on a little brief hiatus. That's because we were working on some special projects that kind of took us away from this. And uh, I got a little flack on the interwebs by people that were... Uh, wondering when we were going to upload next. So uh, I'm pretty stoked just that people have been supporting the podcast and it's doing really well. So we just thank the folks that are listening and getting the word out. And we've got a lot more to come.
1: Coming in hot.
0: Coming in hot, baby. So today we are going to be talking about low light encounters and why it's important that Concealed carry holders need to take this type of training seriously. And if you look around, there's not a lot of folks that do low light training and not a lot of attention, not enough attention given it to to it, in my opinion. So let's first talk about what low light is, and then we're going to kind of take you through the types of light sources that you can use uh selection and uses thereof so alex when you i know you've got tons of experience with low light and i've got a little bit myself what do you think about in terms of when you hear the word low light i mean what what kind of images and thoughts does that conjure in your mind darkness yeah right yeah
1: and good (laughs) i mean for real right Operating with limited visibility Bingo. what goes on in my mind.
0: Yeah, bingo. I like that a lot better. Operating in conditions with limited visibility. So that's not to be confused with no light conditions, which would be uh, where you can't see your hand in front of your face. But that's really not where people find themselves most of the time, is it?
1: No. Uh, Most of the time, if you're in a city setting or any place where you have a... Um, I, I, I guess you're secure, more security conscious in a city setting than you are standing in the middle of a field. Yeah. You know, because uh, in the city, you've got ambient lighting, uh, street signs. Uh, you know, street lights, um, building signs, building, building lights, all that stuff. So you're not in complete pitch black darkness, but it is limited visibility.
0: Yeah. And really even in a military context, being out in the woods patrolling and things like that. I mean, think about back in the day, Vietnam, World War II and other engagements. I mean, those guys, those guys really didn't have access to, to the gear that we have now. So even in those conditions, where it, it's certainly more of a challenge to move around at night. You think about those guys in the jungle of Vietnam. I mean, but you can do it, right?
1: Oh, yeah. You, you can definitely do it. There's enough light, given a, a full moon or a half moon or any of that, there's a, a significant amount of loom that comes out, and your eyes adjust to it at nighttime.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: So make sure you're eating those
0: carrots, getting that beta carotene up, and that, that will help. <laughs> but <laughs> But so... I think that this is a topic that's neglected by concealed carry holders or something that they probably need to start looking into more. It's top of mind with law enforcement because, I mean, think about it. Criminals like to operate at night because it gives them an advantage. Uh, Most people are sleeping at night. Um, There's limited visibility, so it conceals the actions of the criminals. So that's when they like to operate. So if you think about the number of hours in a day where you are in low light condition, it kind of makes sense to kind of pursue this type of training and kind of have that in your wheelhouse so that you'll be prepared.
1: Don't you think? 24 hours in a day. Mostly half of them uh, half of those hours are at night. Yeah, exactly. Limited visibility. Yeah.
0: So now that we've kind of defined what our terms are in in terms of low light versus no light (laughs) conditions, let's talk about the type of light source that you want to have. And there's really two main ones that most of your concealed carry holders are going to have access to. And that is some type of handheld flashlight or a light that's mounted on your gun. Right yep yep and the big question is you know which one should i have i'll I'll get that question a lot which one do you carry and why don't you go ahead and kind of talk about what you
1: what you use uh for me pretty much every day uh in my uh, everyday carry i guess um is a handheld light uh not necessarily a weapons mounted light but a handheld light um and that's something I carry every uh, every single day. Yeah. Um,
0: and what size is that? Because sometimes, you know, back in the day, those big uh, mag lights that cops yeah, still wear or still carry today, security guards. I mean, we're not talking about those, are we?
1: Uh, No, no. Uh, but something a little easier, slips in your pocket. Um, mine's maybe three inches long, four inches long, fits in the palm of my hand. Um, you know. Uh, It's a Streamlight Protac L1. Yeah, I have one of those too,
0: and I love it. I carry it everywhere. Um, And so why would you, why would someone want a, well, let's talk about the mounted lights too. I also have a a Streamlight that's mounted on my gun, but I don't always take it with me. I don't carry it every day. Some people say you should. I I just don't. Uh,
1: What about you? Uh. I don't either. Um, I do have one mounted on my gun, but that's the gun that's usually in my room for, uh, or in my house for home defense. Uh, that's one of the weapons there. Um, I don't really carry a weapons mounted light because you have to have a different holster, uh, a a light compatible holster. Uh, a lot of those are uncomfortable for me. Um, and, and it's, uh, a little harder to conceal. Um, uh, you, you have a bigger, bigger signature of the weapon, which means bigger printing, uh, mm-hmm. more printing, something like that. So usually, I don't carry one mounted to my uh, to my gun because there are times I need to see and not have my gun out. Exactly. You know what I mean. Mm-hmm. So if you pull, like if somebody's approaching you from a distance and you feel uncomfortable. There's nothing wrong with pulling out a flashlight and shining it on that person. That's very unthreatening. But if you pull out a gun, point it at them, and shine the light on your gun, you, there lies the problem. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah.
0: So you get it. Yeah. So I, I think, and we'll talk about that more when we get into the uses. But I think those are those are probably the same concerns that I have. I have I've tried a lot of different holsters. I know people that carry conceal and they always have a light on their gun. And if you can do that and you have the money to spring for it, I mean, the economics also come into play too. Some people can't afford it. Um, You know, more power to you. You can have both and that's not a bad thing if you can make it work. Yeah. But I'm kind of in the same boat you are. I've tried a bunch of different holsters and I guess if I, if I really kind of, worked with it more. Maybe I could find one out there, but I just haven't found one that I really like as much. It, it is a little bulky for me personally, for my body type. So I just kind of forego it because most of the things that I want to do with it, I can get done with my handheld. Now let's talk about the pros and cons. And this is also going to carry over when we get into the uses, but the the pros for having a weapons mounted light obviously is now you have both hands on the weapon right so that's greater accuracy and freedom of movement because you have both hands on the gun more points of contact and you're not fi- fiddling with another piece of kit that would be cool. your your pro um the con is just like what you said there may be times you want a light to illuminate something and if you're out in public it it's not to the level where you're ready to draw a, your weapon with it so now what are you going to do that's right. where the benefit of having a handheld light the the con is of course then you've got two pieces of kit now you've got a gun in your hand so you're only shooting one-handed unless you do some kind of uh, they have some methods where you can hold the light and still hold your gun but you're still not going to be as accurate as you would be when you just have both hands on the gun and
1: no light right yeah and, and that kind of rolls into I mean we can get into it, but that's uh, kind of rolls into escalation of force too.
0: yeah, right. so those are those are things to consider. So we're not saying one over the other, we're not saying don't don't have a weapons mounted light. we're just having you to think through what are your goals and objectives, what are your preferences, what works best for you, and then just plan out your loadout based on that.
1: Right. And I mean, that's another thing, too. It's um, uh, getting familiar with your equipment. If you don't practice with it, if you don't train with it uh, the way you're going to carry, why are not you even carrying it that way? Yeah. yeah. Uh, you, does that make sense? Yeah,
0: totally. So... It comes along the lines of don't just be doing it because some YouTube guy said, "Hey, this is what you need to be doing," and then just set it and forget it. I mean, you need to work with it, you need to train it, and you need to be comfortable with it. Whatever you do, yeah,
1: yep, I agree with that. Uh, what, what do you say about uh, lumens, brightness, uh, choosing a light, uh, any of that stuff? What are you what What, what are some of the things that you uh, you look for in your choice of kit?
0: Yeah. So uh, choosing a, a light source as far as the power, usually that's lan- uh, measured in lumens. And I think I think the lowest lumen setting I've seen that's a viable uh, one would be like anywhere from like a hundred lumens. And I've seen them to go to a thousand plus. And for me, I think a sweet spot that I have found a lot of good luck with is a, a 300 lumen light. Uh, for a handheld, especially that will pretty much, uh, is it as bright as a thousand lumens? No, but it's good enough. And I I found a lot of luck using that. Um, when you get to a thousand lumens, the lights tend to be a little bigger. And so you do get a, it will, it will cast a brighter beam and which means you can see more, you can see farther, but, Overall, again, I, I think a three hundred lumen for me is works just about as good as what I need.
1: Yeah, I, I think this one is about a three hundred and fifty.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, do you have one that's higher?
1: Uh, yes, but I usually carry it separate in the truck because it's just larger, cumbersome, hard to uh, hard to use. Um, and, and and that's if I am searching like mm-hmm. if i'm actively seeking something or searching for something um as far as you know your handheld light you know a little stuns enough um that 350 lumens is enough to gain you that extra second you need to figure out what you're going to do and create your plan yeah. so it's mainly a stun weapon yeah yeah so let's let's
0: move on to two uses now I, I know what uh, there was something uh we we actually tried to record this one time and we had a tech issue so we had to kind of scrub it and so this is our second our second shot at at recording this one but you said something last time about how you test the light to see if it's bright enough
1: for your oh, use Oh yeah of- yeah so um usually what I do is I get in front of a mirror and uh flash the light in various uh conditions meaning with the lights on during the daytime flash it and see how long it stuns you at nighttime get in a dark room or a darker room and shine the light that way it flashes back to you so you know what it feels like you kind of know um how much time that's going to give you to do whatever it is you need to do yeah right um so if it stuns me a little bit and i i see uh stars or it takes me a minute to get my my vision back that's about all you need
0: Mm -hmm. yeah i agree and i'm i'm with you on that all right so you know this stuff it's not rocket science you don't have to overthink it again just think about what you're going to be using it for and how bright you need it and then you might have to experiment with a couple before you find the one that you really like um they make different sizes even which uh, those that are kind of considered that tactical light, you know, a handheld that's small enough to carry in your pocket. They have different sizes. Some are super, super small. Some will fit on your keychain. I don't really like those. Um, I mean, they're all right, but I, I just carry like that small uh, Streamlight ProTac that fits in the palm of my hands, And it's kind of like having a roll of quarters in your hand. Something kind of about that size is, is what I personally like.
1: Mm-hmm. And that's also used as a blunt instrument.
0: Yeah, so that's a yeah, perfect right. segue to go into uses. So I think our big mantra that we we do some low light classes and one of the big things that we kind of will start out once we get past different types and kind of talking about the same things we've been covering in the podcast so far is the use of it.
1: And I like the mantra that if you don't need it, don't use it right that that also falls into uh noise and light discipline yeah so talk about that a little bit uh so the light works both ways right it illuminates what you're seeing but it also gives away your position yeah um then you have to think if there's more than one attacker and you beam one guy all right that's showing where you're at it also helps their like them see better as well if there's two people yeah does that make sense? Oh,
0: absolutely. Or but- if you're not really sure where the threat or the the suspect is in the first place, you know, if again, you're probably not going to be in a low a uh, no light situation, but it can be get pretty dark. And so like you said, the light works both ways. So your best cone of vision is going to be directly looking down the beam that's projected from the light that's where you can see best but you can get into a situation where you can't see the guy but he can actually see you very well especially if he's off to your side or someplace looking to get the jump on you so you just something to be mindful of that you know you can get into a a position where on comes the light and he can actually see you better than he can than you can see him based on his position right So it's something to think about. So if you don't need it, don't use it. That also gets into home defense use. So you and I both for home defense, we keep it, say you keep a pistol by your bedside. You know, when you're inside your home, my way of thinking is there's there shouldn't be anybody that knows my home better than I do. (laughs) You know, exactly. I (laughs) mean, if they if they do, you know, if they do, we've got problems. So If I feel like something's going bump in the night and I want to investigate it, I can move in my home better than any intruder. So I should be able to maneuver inside my home, you know, quietly without the need of the light and then use the light, you know, to gain that that added element of surprise Surprise. and shock, you know, so I can get I can positively I.D. You know, make sure it it is an intruder and not a a guest in your home or a family member that got up to get something or, you know, something like that. So, again, you know, there's all kinds of reasons, but just kind of keep that in mind that don't use it until you need it. Or if you don't need it, don't use it uh, type of thing. So that would be a use with the the mounted light. Handheld light is something that we kind of touched on a little bit is that the beauty of... A, you can pull the handheld light and not have to pull your gun if you're out in a public place. The other benefit is with these lights out, they're very durable, they're made out of uh, metal, and so they make a great impact weapon if if you need it. So you got two things. You can do a slight stun visually just by beaming them in the face with it, and that'll buy you a second to use it as an impact weapon if you need to that will
1: help you fight to a more potent weapon, like your yeah. sidearm or something like that. Always, always be thinking better weapon, better position. Yeah. So w- dealing with our, you know, when we do training
0: with church security teams or, or, uh, campus security teams, we, we really bear down on the aspect of the the beauty of the flashlight because now you can investigate things you can come up and talk to someone who may be suspicious or you might think is going to be a troublemaker or cause an issue and you can usually already have the light in your hand and most people especially if you're acting in a security type uh, p- uh position people aren't going to get suspicious of you having a light in your hand it's not going to draw undue attention versus some kind of baton or, or you know something heavier right a sword a machete (laughs) something like that that's gonna get that's gonna make people uh gonna put them on edge a little bit more if you're walking up to them versus if you have a light so that's another benefit of the handheld light is it just it's pretty disarming to folks now when we talk about you know we mentioned stunning them right nobody please don't misunderstand us when you flash that beam of light in someone's face, obviously it's because you think they deserve it, (laughs) that you need to do it, but understand that that, that stunning is not going to be permanent. It's not going to buy you three minutes of time. It's probably not going to even buy you three seconds of time. You know, think in terms of it's just a basic distraction technique. That's going to maybe buy you a second of time, right? Because you, People's eyes will adjust. They'll look away. They'll move. They'll stick their hand up. They'll kind of shade a, a little bit of the glare off the eye, and, and still be able to see you and function. And we've we've tested this out, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, when we're training, so don't don't rely too much on that. It just gives you a split second to try to regain the timing to move the ball into your court, so to say to help you set yourself up for that next whether you're going to do a a left 45 out and range out or you're going to you're going to go in at an angle and strike them or whatever and that's something that you're going to have to train with us or someone else in person to kind of develop that skill set right yeah. yeah
1: so i mean what, that go ahead so what 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 do you think about light functions as far as you know solid beam versus strobe
0: oh yeah yeah so most of your most of your lights, if you buy quality light, it's going to have obviously the straight solid beam and a strobe setting on it. I have found with the handheld lights, it, I, I can't make that thing work consistently like I want to. I either you know, you usually with your handheld light, you have to you have to push the button. I like uh, this kind of not to go off on a different tangent, but, but make sure that your light has a button on the top, right. To where you can access it with your thumb. That's what we're talking about. And most tactical lights will do that. So you can hit it once and you'll have a solid beam. And usually if you double click or you, you have some kind of pattern, you can activate the strobe light. Um, I don't really rely on that because it kind of requires a little bit of finesse and I'm, I'm, I'm not sure that most people can access that just
1: straight away under stressful conditions. Yeah. Um that, and when you say light on or the button on top the I think of it more is on the back. Right. Yeah. You know because the light comes out of the front yeah. it's on the on the back side. Yeah. Yeah. Correct. So just just wanted to yeah, make cl- sure we no. were talking about the same yeah, thing. Yeah,
0: clear that up. So the strobe function, though, on that on the hand, on the mounted lights are a little different. They're very, e- at least the one on mine. It's so simple. Actually, uh, one side I can click it down and it gives me the solid beam. On the other side, there's a little like a a little wing deal kind of hanging off that I can hit click and that'll that'll turn the strobe on. So right. it for me, I find it's a lot easier to manipulate on the mounted version than on the handheld. But uh, you know, you might have one that's different. So that just hasn't been my experience.
1: Yeah. So what what would be a place you would use a strobe?
0: It kind of gives you another disorienting effect. So Mm -hmm. if I'm in my home, and I'm gonna beam somebody. I can hit that strobe. So now it's not even—it's not just a solid light coming out, but it's a—it's a strobe light coming out. So it's a, a little bit more disorient to the person.
1: The thing about strobe for me is, I, I, it conceals movement. Yeah. Um. So that—that's one of the reasons I would use a strobe function. Yeah. It would be to conceal my movement or movement of a teammate. Yeah. If I have a teammate with me. Yeah. Um,
0: I've talked to cops that we, you know, when we've been training and and some of them have told me that they'll use it sometimes if they're getting ready to uh, take a suspect into custody. And they're, you know, the guns are drawn uh, because the things have escalated. And now they've gained some compliance with the suspect. And now they're about to take him into custody. I've had guys tell me they'll hit the strobe and then their partner will kind of go around to the side and approach them and take them into Mm -hmm. custody that way. I think that's a great application. Um, Just keep in mind, again, if you're by yourself, you know, that you're not going to have that available to you. But it it is something to think about, especially in a security situation when you you have somebody else with you that's trained and working with you on a team. Right, right. Yeah. So I think we kind of covered that uh, we kind of defined our conditions and we talked about y- your different types, your handheld or your mounted, how to select them, what lumens are, and then just some basic uses. Now, you also get into things like, uh, especially with the handheld, like your carry positions. And those are things we get into in our class, classes that we run. And, and there's various positions. And again, I don't think it's a one size fit all, fits all. I think it really depends on how you're searching um and right. what you're doing, right. you know. Also think in terms of, you know, ha, there's some folks that like the, the, I guess it's called the FBI carry or something where you hold the light like super high away from your head because they're saying, well, if someone's shooting at you, they're going to shoot at the light source, so don't have it up close to your body, have it out and away. And I think that makes great sense. But just keep in mind if you're out searching and trying to look for something, you know, how long can you maintain that position? You know, eventually your arm's going to fatigue if you're doing that for a long period. You know, just think about in terms of how long can you hold that position. So I, I don't think it's a one size fit all is kind of what I'm what I'm trying to say.
1: Right. And and, and that also goes into, um, you know, what what are you using it for? What are you doing? Um, we, we teach you to walk heel to toe. And that, that's mainly for transitioning into, uh, in, into darkness because you wind up feeling with your feet more so than you rely on your eyeballs to see what you're yeah. doing. You're fe- feeling your way along more so than you are, you know, visually watching where you're walking. Yeah. Yeah. You know, good point.
0: All right. I think that's kind of going to do it for that. Let's take some questions. We've got three questions we're going to take. And this one's from Ted down in Georgia. I think you spent a little time down there, Alex. Yeah, in that's
1: all go stopping down. <laughs> all
0: right. So he wants to know uh, what is barrel twist and what's it good for? And we're going to, he didn't, uh, Ted didn't indicate whether he's talking like a long range shooter or a carbine, but we're going to take it. We're going to assume he's talking about like an AR platform and your barrel twist the rate of that the barrel spin or the bullet spins inside the barrel as it's leaving as it's leaving the bu- the muzzle. So, for instance, if you have a one in seven twist, which is kind of the mil spec standard, and that most of your off the shelf uh, AR platforms are going to have, that means that the bullet twists every seven inches. Yeah,
1: as one it's, turn every seven inches.
0: Yeah, every seven inches. So, if you have a one in eight twist, it's going to move one inch or once the barrel, the bullet's going to rotate one inch or once no, every, eight every eight oh, inches. Go going it, man. I'm having, I'm having trouble today. I should have had an extra cup of coffee. Yeah. It's The bullet is going to spin once every eight inches. So again, one in seven twist is the, is the mill spec standard. That's going to be most of your off the shelf kind of uh, weapons that you're going to buy. Like if you go into a gun store, you know, unless you get some customized job.
1: Yeah. So, I I mean, essentially twist is one of those things that uh, it's for bullet stabilization. So there's two ways to uh, control a projectile when it's fired. All right. Fin and spin. This is putting spin on the bullet, which stabilizes the bullet in flight. Yeah.
0: And that's what makes the bullet accurate, right? That's That's what contributes to accuracy. So if you think about in the days of the smooth bore musket, there wasn't any rifling in the groove so there wasn't there wasn't a spin on it so they weren't you know they weren't as accurate so then once the you know we started getting rifling grooves within the barrels that caused the barrels to spin and keep it more stable
1: as it's as it's flying across its trajectory right right and given your caliber and I don't mean to get too far off in the weeds but given your caliber uh, usually bigger bullets require less, uh, uh, uh a slower spin, rate. All right. One at seven is pretty fast. So the bigger the caliber, the more, uh, the, the longer your spin will be. So, uh, you can spin a bullet so fast that it fragments as soon as it comes out of the barrel mm-hmm. or, you know, as it's coming out of the barrel. So, uh, you don't want to have too much. Don't want to have too little. A lot of times go with what. The the manufacturer um, has for that weapon system. Yeah. So Ted, I
0: hope that answers your question. That's what barrel. That's what people mean when they talk about barrel twist and what and and what it's for. Um, basically, just kind of making the bullet more stable and accurate. Moving on to Shane in Florida. Shane, I, I'm going to read the, his question out. And again, I just kind of have to assume some of the meaning here. Do the best we can with it, but he he wanted. He said, "What are your thoughts on training in a non-static environment, i.e., drawing the way you carry concealed?" My guess is he's think Shane and email me if 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 we don't get this right. But I think you're talking about training the difference between people who like, let's say, they go to the range wearing a gun belt. Ver, you know, should you go to the range or go to a training class? carrying a gun belt versus, well, if I'm carrying concealed and I don't roll around in a gun belt because I'm not a police officer, you know, what's the value there? Should I, shouldn't I should I just always be training for my concealed carry position? And I think we get into that much abuse phrase that you hear train as you fight, right? Yep. People say, well, I'm not going to be walking around the streets with the gun belt on. So why should I have a gun belt or train with one? So what what are your thoughts on that? And then I'll throw my two cents in
1: so for me most of the time when i train on a flat range i am wearing a gun belt and the reason why is i'm working on uh, a specific mechanics or a specific um, uh, problem that i have that i've diagnosed whether it be you know uh, not getting a proper grip on the gun before i draw uh, having to change my hands around that sort of thing Um, so i use the gun belt to train um mechanical issues that that may present just from being rusty or anything else now um i look at it kind of as a, as a walk crawl or crawl walk run type of thing right so um crawl phase when you're learning mechanics learning how to move with a weapon anything like that you don't want to mess around with um concealed carry right off the bat, Uh, because that's more advanced. you got to fight through clothing, uh, you know, so on and so forth. So there's some extra things. You're just mitigating those risks on a flat range to get your mechanics and your fundamentals down because the most important part of, um, you know, firing any type of weapon system is sight picture and trigger squeeze. Everything else needs to be done as quickly as possible to make the most time for sight picture and trigger squeeze. Um, And, that is easily or more easily done in a uh with with the gun belt on i think Mm -hmm. now i'm not saying don't train concealed i'm just just saying before i take a a a person uh you know a normal person and teach them how to shoot i want to uh mitigate as many of those um circumstances as possible meaning clothing that type of thing and i want you to get your mechanics down first before you do any of the concealed carry stuff now then you can go into your dry fires and practice your draw with the concealed carry before you go to the range all right so you've got your walk where you use um weapons that are not concealed then uh, i'm sorry that's your crawl and then your walk would be You're uh, starting to do your dry fires from concealed and then your run would be, um, you know, going out to the range and actually doing the concealed draws and that type of stuff live.
0: Yeah, I I mean, I pretty much that's exactly how I would say it. It's that train as you fight thing is you got to understand where that comes from and what people mean, because think about in most things in life when you're trying to learn something, whether it's an advanced skill or even if you haven't been exposed to it, even the basic is advanced stuff to you. So think about when you're teaching a kid to ride a bicycle, you know, you usually have training wheels, right? You start the kid off on the, or we all did, right? We started with training wheels first. And once we kind of got pedal speed down and learning how to brake and, and steering and everything like that, you tried to, you know, you tried to take the balance out of it because that's the hardest thing. And then once you've mastered you know, your pedal speed, your braking and your steering. Now it's time to take the training wheels off and you start working on your balance, right? So that is an example of train as you fight. In the military, we do things exactly the same way. A lot of times before we run live fire training, we will have run, well, first of all, we've got our marksmanship down. That's drilled into you from basic training. But then when you're out with your units and you start doing squat attacks and live fire, you usually run through it dry, then you run through it with blanks and then you might, and then you, you might even run through it with some kind of simulation or frangible and then you go live, you know, or they may omit the, the simulation and frangible stage, but either way you're, you're, you're going through a progression. And then once you're ready for that, then you do the quote unquote train as you fight. And that oftentimes will involve some kind of force on force, maybe even, but the point is you're mastering things in stages and then you put it together all at the end and that's where you get trained as you fight
1: right and i mean the only difference between an advanced shooter and an average shooter is the advanced shooter can do all of the uh non-essential tasks mean meaning keeping the gun running they do that without even thinking about it Mm -hmm. you know that that weapon system is an extension of their body so Once you get to that point, that's an advanced shooter. If you can diagnose quickly, diagnose, fix, correct, uh, reload, keep the gun, keep the gun going that that's an advanced shooter. All right. Right. Average shooters have to think about it or take extra time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, in order to get those manipulations down. That's the only difference between an advanced shooter and a uh, um, an, an average shooter. Yes. Advanced shooters taking all the mechanics and, and they can apply them under any circumstance. Yeah.
0: Advanced shooters are basically people who can do all the basic stuff really well. Very well. Yeah, very well. Without thinking about Without it. Without thinking about it. All right. That's how I try to live a lot of my life. Just try not thinking about it. Oh, I know it makes it easier. Yeah, sometimes you do
1: get burned on that, but yeah, I start throwing that brain in there, we start getting in trouble. <laughs> yeah, all
0: right, now we're gonna move on to uh, this is somebody we know personally. This is Brent up in Pennsylvania. Brent's got a glorious beard that comes down to uh, down to his belt buckle. I call him a duck dynasty. I think he's come to every course we do in Pennsylvania, so um, love him, Brent. Hello, and Brent has a really good uh, kind of a social kind of question. He says, what What are your thoughts on wearing shirts that support certain beliefs, certain causes that are kind of make a statement that may cause undue or unnecessary attention to yourself? And he gave me an example uh, of a T-shirt he has that says, uh, stomp my flag and I'll stomp your ass. So, Hell yeah. So, so all right that really depends on the person and it's going to go back to thinking about what you, what your goals and objectives are before you leave the house, have that settled in your mind. You know, we still live in a free society, but things are becoming more fragmented and more, I, I, I hate to say it, but kind of uh, combative. I think we're past just the argumentative stage. You know, there's people that are getting jumped for wearing, uh red make america great hats again you know we've seen that or you know you're you're draw, you are drawing attention to you and so there's two schools of thought on that some people say this is a free country why should i hide my beliefs or how i feel certainly the more combative people and troublemakers out there they're not censoring themselves and people will argue maybe that's why more traditionalists um uh, Folks are kind of on the defensive all the time. It's because we just give that up. We're not vocal. We're not taking a stand and we're not making our beliefs known and showing other people that we, you know, who stand with us to encourage them to also be a little bit more outspoken. Sure. That's, that's a, that's legit. But on the other hand, you know, when you wear things like that, depending on where you go and what the climate is you do draw that intention and so do you want to get into a fight do you want to get into an argument with someone who's going to be mouthy just because you're expressing your views so i guess we're saying just because you can does that mean you always should so what what do you think about that
1: well uh you know i'm all for whatever you want to do but um you know it's a free country so do what you think is best for you um Uh, whether I agree with it or not, it's not one of those things, um, that, you know, you have that right. Yeah. So do, uh, do whatever I guess makes you feel better. But, uh, me, I, I don't usually, I don't usually wear stuff that makes me stand out. And the reason why is I always want to have a way out, you know, um, If I need to blend in, I can blend in, you know, uh, that kind of stuff. I I just don't stick out um, or I try not to.
0: Yeah, I'm the same way. You know what I mean? Yeah, I don't tend to wear a lot of loud things or things that make statements. And that's just out of that's just kind of me. I'm a more low key guy. I think, again, it comes back to think about where you're going to be. You know, if you're going out to let's say you're going to a gun show or you're going to a gun class, or you're going somewhere where there's probably going to be a group of people wearing that kind of stuff. You know, that's one thing, but if you're going out, let's say you're taking your six year old to a Disney movie, you know, and for ice cream afterwards. Well, now do you want to wear something that's going to draw undue attention to you when you've, you got a little one that you're trying to look out for? Do you want to, do you, you know, and not to say that it would happen, but there's a possibility. And so, you know, my, my personal thought is, you know, right time and place. So if I'm with my family and i want to have quality time out with my family, I don't want to wear something that may be considered provocative to someone.
1: Right. Well, well, I mean, if you think about it, too, most of the people, if somebody if somebody's in general, genuine trouble anymore, you've got 14 people standing around with their cell phone videotaping it. Yeah. And they're not going to help you out. So I would say if you're going to wear something like that, where you think there's going to be a problem, you better have your boys with yeah. you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? Oh yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, that that's exactly right. And not, again, not saying to go out and look for trouble, but sometimes trouble will find you. So the question is, you know, if you're ready for it, uh, you know, again, you do you, but if it's something that, you're out and you don't want that kind of issue, then maybe, maybe it's best not to wear it. But of you know, ultimately, you got to make that decision for yourself.
1: Yeah. I mean, everybody's so sensitive now that you know, uh, certain things trigger certain people, and y- you have to deal with that because you know, um, logic and genuine human decency is not ne- necessarily, uh, um, synonymous with political affiliations or anything else right now yeah
0: exactly so anyway word to the wise and uh like anything it just comes down to the person's preference and just just know what you're doing when you step out your door i guess well that's situational awareness uh, situational awareness so i think that covers it um we're going to go ahead and and sign off i just again want to tell everybody thanks for your patience as we were trying to um, pump these out we're going to do some more. We've got some uh, exciting stuff coming up. We're still. Uh, let me just kind of tell everybody where we're going to go in some future casts. So, we're, we've been doing these tactical things, you know, with ambush. We've done the low light. We've done the big five. Uh, we're also going to keep doing those, but we're also going to add a couple other topics. Maybe even bring in some other guests as we go along. But some things that have to do with kind of more intel-based podcasts. So. You can have all the ammo and all the personal defensive weapons and, and be highly skilled at those, but that's really only one part of it. If you don't understand the threats that are in your area, how they operate, and how they move, then you know being armed to the teeth is, is not going to help you. So we got a lot of... It, strange social dynamics going on in the country right now and we've got some things that 20 30 years ago people just didn't have to worry about usually when you talked about defensive uh, self-defense you usually the worst thing you had to worry about was a robber or someone breaking into your home but now we have things like we've got terrorist cells in this country. We have uh, domestic insurgencies that are going on and people see things in the news and they don't really understand what's going on or they only see kind of what the news media wants us to see. So I think just kind of looking at the social dynamics that are going on in the country and kind of a bigger view of who these groups are, how they operate, that will help you be better prepared for you and your family that's one, some things that we're going to move into. And then also things like mindset, how you develop that kind of, I don't know what you want to call it, a warrior mindset, a combat mindset, or really just developing a warrior culture. That's something that, uh, whether they called it that our granddads and great granddads had, that used to be part of what it meant to be a man in this country. A lot of that has kind of died off as we've urbanized and advanced. And now we're finding out that we need that stuff <laughs> and, yeah. and people are are trying to figure out what that means and how that you get that. So we'll, we'll be delving into that too and some of the future podcasts. So be on the lookout for that. So if there's
1: any, you got anything else? No, I'm, I'm good. I think we covered it pretty well today.
0: All right. Well, again, thanks for listening. Uh, if you would leave a comment in the, uh, in the section below and uh, leave us a review, I guess, and a five-star, on, uh, particularly on Apple. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, That really helps us and get the word out. So appreciate you guys. If you guys have any questions or you have some topics you want us to cover, just hit us up at info at veritasdefense.com. Until next time, this is Mark and Alex signing off.